Good morning. It's so good to see you here. We thank God for you. How many of you know about cholesterol? Rhonda is only one person. Boy, this is really a, this place not touched. Huh? Cholesterol. Now everybody is, now everybody is doing it. We got some good ones and we got some bad ones, right? The good ones, you want more of the, than the bad ones, right? Well, um, do you know what this is? Santac. Nobody know what Zantac is? They say this is to prevent or to relieve heartburn. How many of you know what reflux, acid reflux is? Everybody knows what acid reflux is. <laughs> All right. I know I've been working with it for a long time and I've been taking these for some time. Well, you know they also have good heartburn and bad heartburn? Do you know that? This is the stuff for the bad heartburn. This is the one for the good heartburn. This one prevents it, supposedly. This one gives it, no, it gives the heartburn, right? And it's amazing how many people use this, but don't use this. It's amazing. So today we're going to talk about heartburn. We're going to take a walk. <laughs> and I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. This is an aftermath, well not really an aftermath, this is a part of the resurrection day. We've celebrated that day last week. This event that we'll be looking at is a part of that event. As you read the story from the Gospels, to put them all together, it's an amazing story. And it's focused more of, on unbelief of the disciples and the apostles than on their belief. It's amazing. It's amazing after all of the wonderful things that happened. The women going to the tomb early in the morning to try to finish the job of anointing the body with the spices and probably hearing the rumble of the ground and going, meeting the place opened. And then we have by revelation that before they came, the angel rolled away the stone and sat on it. How did they know that? How did Luke know that? I don't think that the gods even saw it because probably when these angels appeared, they were, the Bible says, they were as dead men. They fell out. They were unconscious. So this is by revelation that we are told that the angel came and sat on the stone. It's amazing. I haven't seen that in too many of the movies. You know, I, I would love to see that. That was kind of funny, you know, the stone rolls away and the guy comes and he sits on it. But one of the things you're going to see throughout the story, if you really look at it, there's a lot of humor in the resurrection story. But all of these tremendous events, the ladies running back to the disciples and saying that the tomb was empty. And they saw these two guys and saying that he's alive. And then it ends at about verse 34 in Luke 24. 
And it says the disciples went back to their homes. You know, we're anti-climatic. All of these exciting things. And the disciples went back to their homes. That's where this story begins here. In verse 13 of Luke 24, it says, And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus. And behold, look, listen to this, this is the idea that Luke is saying to us. Two of them, two of whom? Two of the disciples, not the eleven, not the apostles, not two of the women, but two of the other disciples who were a part of the events on that first resurrection morning. That very day, what day? That first Lord's Day, first resurrection day, the day when all of these events that we've been celebrating last week occurred. On that very day, these two disciples were going to a village named Emmaus. In other words, they were going back home. Just like the others, they just decided, hey, everything is finished. So I'm going back home. It's about seven miles away, and they're walking. It's like walking from Bay Street over to South Beach. Seven miles. And they're walking. Notice what they said, the text says they were doing. It's probably late afternoon or around noon. And they were conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place. All of these things, they were conversing, talking about them. Now we're going to see how important this is in a moment. They're walking and they're talking about the things that happened that day. I want you to get in their minds now because you're walking with them now. We're walking to Emmaus. But I would like to be a, a part of that conversation. What were they saying? What were they talking about? Now, as we see in a moment, the Greek word used here for discussion and conversing is a very intense one. These guys were arguing. They were debating. They were going at it, not fighting, mind you, but discussing it with intensity. Get the picture now. They are disappointed. They're dejected. All of their dreams of the Messiah coming and destroying the kingdom of the Romans smashed to smithereens, gone. Messiah, their Messiah had been executed like a common criminal. He was utterly discredited and disgraced when he was executed on the cross. And to top it all off now, Early this morning, these two women go to the tomb and come back, making noise, trying to disturb everybody. The body is gone. And an angel said, they're alive. I'm sure these people must be thinking. These are the two guys talking. I'm sure the people in Jerusalem must be thinking we're fanatics. We're nuts. Verse 15. 
And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing. See that? That's the intensity. Conversing and discussing. Heated, argue, heated discussion. Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. Now let's pause now. Let's try to enter into this event on this dusty road to Emmaus with these dejected, disappointed disciples of Jesus Christ. And they're talking and they're discussing, trying to find out what in the world happened, what really happened. Then the scripture says, Jesus himself. I like that. Jesus himself. Now see, read it in the context of the events. This is no spirit. This is Jesus himself, flesh and bones. That's the point. This is the resurrected Jesus. Jesus himself. Boy, what a companion to have to travel with you, huh? And it appears that Jesus was walking and finally caught up to them. It isn't that he just appeared. These guys didn't even notice him coming up with them. They were so involved in their discussions. And so when they saw him, they must have been scared out of their sandals, right? No. They weren't scared at all. Why? Their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Then there's some Jesus himself. But the disciples talking about him sees him. But is prevented by God from recognizing him. That it's Jesus. I want you to get into this story to see what's happening here. Wouldn't that have been a wonderful time for Jesus just to say, hey, here I am. Probably give him a heart attack. But he didn't do that. Jesus sneaks up on him. And then prevents the disciples who are talking about him from recognizing that it is him. Now in another gospel, we're told that the first person to see him after his resurrection didn't recognize him either. You remember Mary? She thought he was a gardener. Some say it was because Mary's eyes were so swollen from crying she didn't recognize Jesus. Others says, no, he was so disfigured from the beating that he received as a part of the suffering and the crucifixion, she couldn't recognize him. Others say, no, no, no. It's because he was transformed into another figure, another form that prevented Mary from recognizing who Jesus was. Now, I really don't know why they didn't recognize. Unless it is what the text says here. Their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Now, that's what the text says. Why should I try to find other reasons? God didn't want these people to recognize, not recognize Jesus the first time they saw him after his resurrection. All kinds of questions start to come to mind. 
I've got a million of them, and I can't answer one. Some people who refute or try to refute the resurrection say that the two disciples, some try to find out who these were. Some says, it's Cleophas, his name is given later, and his wife. Now, nowhere in the scripture says that. In fact, if you look at the gender of the verbs that are used, they're all masculine. So it appears that it's two men rather than Cleophas and his wife. Nowhere in scripture tells us that. But if you look at it in the Greek, all of the verbs mentioned with him is all, are all in masculine. Now, there's some ways getting around that to call a woman by a masculine term, but I won't get into that. But it seems that these were two men. And so these people who will try to deny the resurrection say what happened was Jesus came up to them with the sun behind him. And so they were looking into the sun and they couldn't recognize Jesus. I'm just trying to show you how people who do not want to believe makes up stories that are more difficult to believe than the one that they should believe. But you know, Mark tells us something about this. In Mark chapter 16, verse 12, it says, And after that, he appeared in a different form to two of them, while they were walking along on their way to the country. Notice now, this is the text saying what happened. Jesus appeared in a different form than the form he appeared to Mary and the form he was before he was crucified. And so the text is clear. These two disciples on the road to Emmaus saw Jesus in a different form than Mary did. Therefore, he's probably a different form than the women saw him as well because you remember, he appeared to the women also right after appearing to Mary. Did he appear in a different form to those ladies than he did to Mary? Scripture doesn't say. But it does say he appeared in a different form when he appeared to the two disciples. Why? <coughs> he appeared to Peter, perhaps before he appeared to the disciples on the way to the Which form did he appear to Peter in? He appeared to James sometime. Which form did he appear to James? something else here. When he first appeared to Mary, Mary Magdalene, he told him not to cling to him or prevent his leaving. But yet when he met the other women, they came, fell down at his feet and grabbed a hold of him. He said nothing to them about, don't hold on to me. Nothing. Some people have all kinds of ideas because Jesus wanted to ascend to the Father and take his blood and all of that. That's a little fanciful. Although you can get some ideas from Scripture that it's possible. But I want you to see what is going on here the first resurrection morning from about six to noon. Six hours. All kinds of strange things happening. In Matthew 28, verse 9, when it talks about meeting the women, he says, Behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. 
And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Now notice that. They took hold of his feet and worshipped him. They seem to have recognized Jesus. Now take a note of this. Underlying this passage. This is the first instance of Jesus being worshipped as the resurrected Christ. And it's done by women. The same ones who were the first to get the message of the resurrection, the women. The first ones to worship him as the resurrected Christ are women. The point I want to make right now is that when you look at all of these explanations which try to explain why Jesus was not recognized at times and why he changed his form is simply to bring us back to what the scripture says. Their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. The word King James says, uh, what does the King James says? Um, beholden, their eyes were beholden. Strange word. Another version, the New King James says, their eyes were restrained. The force of the text, the idea is the eyes were stopped, closed, shut, couldn't see. Not physically. It's possible that they were looking at Jesus just as he always has been. But they saw something else. Their eyes saw what God wanted them to see. I want you to keep these things in mind as we move through the story. God had given them a divine blind spot. They couldn't see who they were seeing for who he really was because God didn't want them to at that time. I ask again, was it because it was in a different form? Perhaps, but what does that mean? Was Jesus slimmer, fatter, darker, lighter, older or younger? Doesn't say. It just says he was in a different form. Now this doesn't say he was in a different form as a man. It says he was in a different form. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, that other go, a bendigo, <laughs> in the fiery furnace, right? The king looks, he sees a fourth man. And he appears to be the son of God. Different form altogether. He was different from these three guys. How did Jesus appear? These people. Now see, there's a lot of illustrations we can use here. Jesus appears to us differently at times. But it's still Jesus. Sometimes he comes in a nice looking outfit like me. Sometimes he comes dressed like Terence. When he goes to young people's meetings. Sometimes he's like that bum you meet on a corner. 
who's asking for handout. Sometimes he's that caregiver at the hospital, at the bedside. Perhaps he's the Sunday school teacher, the Warner leader. He comes in different forms to different peoples. But it could still be Jesus. What is needed is for our eyes to be open to see Jesus. And only God can do that. Keep that in mind. I believe that we, one of the reasons why God did all of these things, Jesus did all of these things, coming in different forms, allowing himself to be recognized when he wants, is because he wanted to make a point. And the point is a very simple one, but yet it is a profound one. I believe it has to do with his making a point about how his disciples are to receive his word. I'll come back to this in a moment, but keep that in mind. He had a purpose for it. And sometimes we miss it because we are looking too much for hot cross buns and holidays and palms and all of that. And we miss one of the important teachings of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were miraculously prevented from recognizing Jesus who said to them, what are these words you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? In other words, Jesus asked them, what in the world are you talking about in such a lively manner? They're probably like Bahamians. You know how it is when Bahamians talk? I mean, you, you should get me and Cindy and Sandy talking. You call for the SWAT team immediately because you think we're going to kill one another. That's what's happening here. What is it that is making you so excited? Now notice what the text says. And they stood still. They're walking now. Jesus asked a question. What are you talking about? They stopped still. Just like, and they said they were sad. They stopped still and they were sad. Long face. Jesus' question stopped them in the tracks. They couldn't believe there is. Did this guy just land from Mars or something? They were grief stricken over these events and yet, listen, this fella comes here and he doesn't know anything about what's going on. Where was he born? Cat Island? <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't want to offend any Cat Island host. Don't you know what's going on? Notice what it says. And one of them named Cleophas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Are you the only one? See, the idea is everybody in Jerusalem knew that Jesus was crucified and heard that he was raised again. This wasn't something done under the rock. In fact, it was something done out of the rock. And said, what things? <laughs> now really, Jesus had to say this with a, 
he had to see this with a smile in his face. What things? Now, who's asking the question? Jesus. This is the one who caused all these things to happen. This is the one who is right at the heart of all of these things. And he looks like they what things. Now, you can tell me Jesus ain't got a sense of humor. I believe the angels now were laughing at that. What things? And they said to him, the things, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all his people. Now notice, he didn't say he was the Messiah. Didn't even say he was the son of God. But they did say he was a prophet. But he was a mighty prophet. They pay a high tribute to Jesus Christ, calling him a mighty prophet. But doesn't call him the Son of God. Doesn't call him the resurrected Christ. But yet they had a high regard for Jesus. This comes to, this shows you what they had learned about who Jesus was. We see the importance of this in a moment. Verse 20. And he goes on and says, How the high priest and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. In other words, these two disciples blame the religious and political leaders for the death of Jesus Christ. They separated themselves from them. Verse 21. Here's this but. But we, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. That's why they're saddened. See, they're given the impression that he failed us. They're disappointed. Indeed, besides all of this, all of these things will happen. It is the third day since these things happened. And why did they say that? Because they, well, they don't know what yet, but they want an impression something was going to happen on the third day. Now notice, it isn't the fourth day. This has a lot to do with whether Jesus Christ was crucified on a Wednesday or Friday. A lot of people are saying that he was crucified on a Wednesday. That's the only day he could be for 72 hours. But if Jesus were in the tomb for 72 hours, he couldn't be raised on the third day. He had to be raised on the fourth day. Why? Because to be a part of the third day, you have to use up the 72 hours. If that were true, you couldn't be raised at the same time. Did you follow that? Read the Bible. <laughs> in other words, if he had to be in the grave for 72 hours, he had to be raised 72 hours and one second after that. So what I'm saying is those who try to push so much for the 72 hours, rather than recognizing the days as a part of a day and so on, have a problem with that. In other words, Jesus would have to be raised on Saturday, not Sunday. But forget that. He's saying, Besides, it is the third day. They were expecting something to happen on the third day. Something was supposed to happen on the third day following his execution. It did happen. But they still didn't see it. They didn't believe it. They didn't understand. They didn't believe to the point where it changed your life. 
And so they went back home. They were on their way to Emmaus, defeated, dejected. Jesus had failed them. And notice verse 22. But also some women among us amazed us. Now why should they be surprised at that? Women are always amazing us. Isn't that true? <laughs> Women are always amazing as men. <laughs> Some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the, morning, in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, a vision, who said he was alive. It wasn't the ladies who determined that Jesus was alive. They only knew that he was missing. It was the angels who said that he was alive. So the first ones to give the news of the resurrection of Christ were the angels. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb. The text, the gospel tells us that Peter and John and found it just exactly as the woman has said. In other words, they told the truth. But him they did not see. The body was gone. That's amazing. These women told the truth. They recognized it as truth. But still they would not believe that Jesus was raised. Now at this point, these two disciples were probably ready for this stranger to look at them in wonder and amazement. I said, wow, all of this happened and I know nothing about it. But he didn't do that. Instead, he said, Jesus said to them, oh, you foolish men. And that's something. You, I was going to say fools, but that sounds too rash. Oh, you foolish disciples and slow of heart to believe. Do you see that? This tells you right here why as you read throughout the Gospels, and we're going to look at it in a moment, why they didn't believe. They were slow of heart. Oh foolish man and slow of heart, notice now, to believe in what the women said. Did it say that? Look at your Bibles. It doesn't say that. Oh, you were slow to believe what is going around Jerusalem. Did it say that? No. Slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. That was the reason why they didn't believe yet. They didn't believe the word of God. Not they didn't believe the women. Now that's coming. But Jesus says that wasn't the cause. Now he's going to give them trouble for that. But the real reason, he says, you didn't believe in what the prophets have said. That's why many professing believers don't trust Christ today. Don't trust in God. 
don't have faith in God because you don't believe this. That's why. All this bad economic time and all this, all this emotional disturbance on the part of Christians, you don't believe this. Now, I don't want to be harsh here, mind you, but I'm saying basically that's what is being said here. You don't believe what the Word of God says. Now notice, verse 26, was it not necessary? Now this is called a rhetorical question. Stated directly means it was necessary. Why is it necessary? Because that's what the Bible said. That's what the prophet says. It was necessary for Christ to suffer. Why are you surprised then? If it was necessary and the prophet said it was necessary, now that it happened, why in the world are you surprised? Why don't you believe? And to enter into glory. In other words, before he could come into Rome and destroy it and all of that, first he had to die and be glorified. The others comes after that. We'll see that in a moment. Now the word foolish, and this is an important part of the text, points to a lack of understanding. It refers to a dullness of understanding resulting from not thinking or considering. In other words, not having a sila moment. If they had obeyed my command every time we finish this, I'd say sila. They wouldn't have been like this. Foolish comes from this idea you don't think, you don't ponder, you don't reflect. Oh, yeah, you got it. But you don't think about it. You don't reflect on it. You don't meditate upon it. That's what Jesus is teaching here. You don't reflect. You don't meditate. Oh yeah, I read the Bible. From cover to cover every year. But it's no time for reflection. Meditating. You think just reading it gives you points with God. It doesn't. Not if you don't obey it. Flow of heart to believe is a figure of speech indicating mental and spiritual slowness or dullness. You're not sharp, you're not alert. The word heart here in this text really refers to the mind. You're going to see that later down here because the word heart is used for the deeper part of man, the emotional part of man. Here it has to do with mind. The word heart means mind and goes with slow in this text and describes why they were slow to believe the truth. It's because their mind was dull. The mind was not alert, the mind was not, sure, was, not a, was not sharp because they didn't reflect or meditate upon the word. They were not convicted of the truth because they lacked spiritual awareness of what the word of God said. The heart here is used figuratively as the seat of the personality and intelligence and Jesus says there's an effect on your part as disciples when it comes to the word of God. And so their unperceptible and sluggish intelligence had led them to the state of grief and disbelief and, dis and, 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 and despair. They didn't believe because they didn't know the word of God sufficiently. This is a part of teaching of the resurrection story. 
That's why I believe it's included this walk to Emmaus. Jesus himself is a teacher. And he's underlining a point. The point is, we need to know and to understand the word and to think about it, to meditate if our faith is going to be genuine. Jesus said that the prophets spoke of how it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer. And this is what they call a divine necessity. It has to happen. God has ordained it. God has appointed it. It has to happen. Is it a divine necessity? Jesus had to be crucified the way you saw that he was crucified. But they missed that. They missed that altogether. It's amazing how they could do it, but they missed it. They wanted physical redemption first, not a suffering savior. They didn't want to, they, they didn't want to see that. Oh yeah, the glory part is good, but then also the suffering part. But Jesus is always teaching us without the cross, there's no crown. Without the suffering, there's no glory. But yet, even, even us today, we have a hard times when we have troubles and problems. The first thing we say, Lord, get me out of it. But Jesus said, if you understand the truth, what I'm telling you is, hey, think, consider, I'm using this to make you more like me. I'm using these circumstances, these difficult times to transform you to be like me. The glory would come, but this is the pathway to it. We've got to understand that. If we understand that and we believe that, we'll live it out. These disciples were not living it out. He's rebuking them once again for not understanding the scriptures and what they teach about himself. Notice what it says, verse 27. And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. Oh my goodness. What a time this was. Jesus the teacher, teaching about himself. Get it now. Now remember, Jesus taught these same people before he was crucified. He taught them the scriptures. But they didn't get it. Again and again you're going to read, they remembered and they believed. They didn't believe the first time they heard it. Scripture says he explained. Now this is a great word. The word means to expound. It means to make one to understand. It comes the, from the idea of being able to translate a message from one language into another so a person could understand it. That's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was opening up the scriptures so they could understand it. He was expounding the word. He was doing expository teaching, revealing the scriptures. Can you imagine that? He expounded the things concerning himself. Jesus preaching 
on Jesus. Spurgeon, looking at this text one time, says, it's the diamond cutting the diamond. Jesus opening the word and explaining himself the word that speaks about himself. He did a panorama of the Old Testament and he found himself in every one of the books, every passage, everywhere he looked in the Old Testament, he saw himself. And that's why he was so surprised at the Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes who knew the word and still didn't see Jesus. This is what he says in John 5. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. You see, Jesus was making a, this is a negative statement for these people. We use it many times in the positive, but this is a negative statement. Jesus said, now look at you guys. You go and you do Bible study all the time. And you do that because you say that's where eternal life is to be found. How you can have life more abundantly. You search the scriptures. That in them you think you have eternal life. And then he says, it is these scriptures that testify of me. But yet you're still unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. You say, I go in here to find a way to have life. These scriptures say that I am the way. That I am the way that you can have eternal life. But you come away and don't see it. Many Christians are like that. They go and read this Bible and they don't get one thing out of it at all. They go to it to find out if it can satisfy or validate what they want it to say. And that's what they look for. And they miss Jesus. This is the whole point of this walk to Emmaus. What are you doing with the word of God? You see Jesus in every page. Here's how one writer puts it. I started the process of going through each one and doing it myself, but it's, it took a little time, so I just found somebody else who did it. This is what he says, and I quote it. He was David's king and Solomon's altogether lovely one. He was Jeremiah's branch of righteousness and Ezekiel's plant of renown. He was Daniel's stone cut without hands, smiting the image, becoming a mountain and filling the earth. He was the ideal of Hosea. To Joel, he was the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. He was Amos's plowman overtaking the reaper and the treader of, treader of grapes of him that sowed seed. He was Obadiah's deliverer upon Mount Zion and holiness. He was the fulfillment of the sign of Jonah and the turning again of the God of Micah. He was Nahum's one who was upon the mountains publishing peace. The anointed of whom Habakkuk sang as going forth for salvation. He brought the peoples the pure message of Zephaniah, and he was the true Zerubbabel of Haggai's rebuilding forever the house and the city of God. He is Zechariah's day when the holiness of the Lord is upon his people. He is indeed the refinest fire, the fullest soap, and the son of righteousness of Malachi's vision. 
end of quote. But we could fill in more. He was the first one who was said to be the one who will tread upon the head of Satan. That's the book of Genesis. In the book of Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. We could go all through scripture. In the Old Testament, book after book, and Jesus Christ is there. All of Leviticus, all of the sacrifices, that's Jesus. And Jesus went through all of these chapters with these two unbelievers. And Jesus took the Old Testament to reveal new truth. He chose to expound the old. It tells us that the scriptures are sufficient for us today. Disciples were caught up in the present events of the day rather than the truth of scriptures from generations ago, long ago. Jesus went to these scriptures and demonstrated how the things that happened in Jerusalem must have occurred. They were predicted. They must come to pass. Jesus took the Old Testament and preached about himself. He did this... Um, Philip did the same thing to the Ethiopian eunuch. What is the truth here? The truth is that we could never fully believe anything about God until we know, understand, and believe Scripture. Look at verse 28. And they approached the village where they, they were going, and he acted as though he would go. And I like this one too. He acted. He put on. He fooled them. <laughs> he fooled them. I believe Jesus killed himself laughing. He pretended that he was going on. He wanted to see the response of these people to whom he had just himself opened the word of God. What was the response? They urged him, stay with us. For it is getting toward evening and the day is now nearly over. You see, I believe they kind of being a little bashful too. Then he said, stay with us, I won't hear more. I believe they did. But they wanted to be hospitable. And he went in to stay with them. And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began to giving it to them. Now this is not the breaking of bread service. This is not the Lord's Supper. I don't think anybody even knew about the Lord's Supper to the extent yet. Because remember, it just happened. Right? So this is a meal. This is just a common meal here. Now notice this though. And their eyes were opened. My eyes open now. They don't look open, but my eyes are open. <laughs> and their eyes were opened. And they saw Jesus. This is what should happen when we really reflect and meditate upon the Word of God. Our eyes should be opened. And we should see Jesus. Their eyes were open and they recognized him. Doesn't say he changed. The only thing changed was their eyes. He was always the same. 
But now God opened their eyes. And that's what happens when we read scripture under submission of the Holy Spirit. God opens our eyes. And we will never understand anything in the word unless God opens our eyes. But that takes time. Now, I've been hitting this and I'm doing it intentionally. That doesn't mean that you just get one of these little verses out of the little bread loaf for the day and say, that's my verse for the day. <laughs> you don't study the Bible like that. You don't meditate. You don't reflect. You don't get conviction. You spend time. And that's why I believe that the resurrection story and this Emmaus story is the greatest condemnation of the way believers handle the Bible today. And that's the reason why it's included. We would have more people who have faith, who study, believe, and obey the word of God. But then it says he vanished from their sight. I love that. Scotty, beam me up. Now you old people, you young people, you old people don't know about it. Young or old? Both. Jesus is saying, then he wasn't. It isn't that he slipped the back door or when they weren't looking. Mm -mm. They were looking at him and all of a sudden, they ain't looking at him no more. He's gone. Vanished. Disappeared immediately, right before their eyes. Now when you trace the 16 or so appearances of Jesus after the resurrection, you will see a pattern emerge just like this. It says in verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. This is true in most of the post-resurrection appearances. He often veiled his appearances and it took some time before they recognized who he was and then when they did, he's gone again. Why? As God, I believe it's because Jesus trying to create within us a desire to see him again. A desire to see him again. Now put it in the context of the word. You go to the word and you see Jesus. So if you want to see him, where do you go? You go back to the word. This is why it amazes me why so many people don't want to read the word. They try to get away from it rather than they run towards it. Because probably you haven't yet seen Jesus. Because once you see Jesus and his word, you're going to always want to go back to the word to see him again. I believe that the reason why God did all of these things is that he wants us to know and have faith in his word. I'm going on to verse 32 because I'll close out now. This is not finished, but we close out. Verse 32, and he says, And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us? 
Okay, now this is a good hardware new. Don't try to take these to avoid this. Were not our hearts burning within us? Now notice, if you want this kind of a heart burn, you have to be doing exactly what the disciples were doing when they got the sideburn. What did they get? Notice. Were not our hearts burning while, 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 while he was speaking to us on the road? While, while, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Bringing it down to our day, when will our hearts burn? When will this flame of the Spirit of God warm our hearts? It's when we open the Word and we see Jesus and we allow the Spirit of God to open that Word to us. Then our hearts will burn. That's why many of you don't have heartburn, the good one. You don't give Jesus enough time to open the word for you. Did not our hearts burn within us while he was speaking, while he was explaining? In other words, while we were understanding the scriptures. In other words, the warm glow that came to these disciples came when they heard Jesus explain the scriptures to them about himself. The warm glow of a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Personal encounter, a warm glow that comes within the very being of the person, the believer. When Jesus is allowed to speak to us from his word, our hearts are a glow of flame. With what? With him. He sets the heart aflame when we understand what the scripture says about him. In fact, this is a beautiful picture illustration of fellowshipping with Jesus Christ and fellowshipping with one another through the Word of God. All of our hearts begin to burn in the same way as the Word of God is opened to us by the Spirit of God and we are directed toward Jesus Christ. Our hearts become aflame and there's the warmth, the glow of the Spirit's unity experienced in a way that can only be possible by understanding the Word of God. Now Jesus had done this before, teaching people. But they didn't get that. Jesus had told these disciples, I'm going to be raised. Some third day I'll be raised. I will not be dead all the while. They didn't believe it. Jesus taught it. But then the ladies went in to the grave and two foreign preachers came in. The angels, they're foreign, the aliens. They ain't from this world. 
And they said, he's raised, and they believed him. And I said, hmm? that's what happens today, you know, I got to bring this one in. I would come in, I would teach you all things. Not, you wouldn't get it. Then when foreign preacher come. And he only said once. And all of a sudden, all the scriptures open. Isn't that amazing? Oh, you slow of heart. <laughs> That's what happened here. Why? The reason why is because you don't know the word of God yourself. And so there's not that coming together of what you hear with what you learned from the word. And so as we look at these two disciples, we have to ask, why was this story put in here? This is why, I believe. Jesus Christ, the head of the church, our Savior, our Redeemer, the resurrected Christ, wants us to know that if we really want to know about Him, we've got to know the Word of God and believe it. And then nothing will surprise us when it comes to God's working in our life. We'll never be surprised at miracles. Miracles don't suppose to surprise Christians. Never be surprised if you believe the word. Why? Because he said, that's what I'm going to do. And so I ask you this morning, how often do you have heartburn? Do you have a strong enough desire to have a heartburn so that you will begin a fresh and new, a concentrated study of the Word of God? You do that. And I can guarantee you, you get heartburn. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Just a moment of reflection, if God has spoken to you in any way. If you want to make a commitment to God right now, not to me, but to Him, concerning your relationship to the Word and your studying the Word, why don't you do it right now before we close out? And this will be our closing prayer. Just make that commitment to Him right now. Just say, Lord Jesus, I want to see you in the Word. Please help me to be more faithful and consistent in studying and meditating upon the Word. Please give me a heartburn for you. Father, thank you for your Word and for the promise that it never returns to you void, but will always accomplish the purpose for which you send it forth. And all of God's people said, Amen.